All things come of Thee, O Lord, and of Thine own have we given Thee. Amen. Earlier this week, I had a call with one of the wealthiest foundations in the church. They have billions of dollars in holdings, and they give away so many millions every year. And they were telling me that they don't feel like they have enough money to make a difference for the enormous problems facing their city and humanity. They said, you know who could really make a difference is somebody else, the, the governor, the mayor, the federal government, but they're, they're busy pointing fingers at each other. We'll do what we can, but it's, it's just not enough. And I thought, you guys have billions of dollars. How is it that you don't feel like you have enough? But then I thought, well, you know, you look into me, I, I feel that way too. I feel like I don't have enough. I don't have enough, I mean, minus the billions of holdings and tens of millions of dollars in philanthropy, I feel like I don't have enough to make a big enough difference. I wonder if I'll ever have enough money or experience or political sway or land or power or whatever to solve all the problems facing humanity. And sometimes the daunting sense of feeling insufficient makes me want to do nothing. Or at least play it safe keep my head down. So I can relate to the cautious servant in today's gospel. He too wants to play it safe, avoid risk, maintain the status quo. But he's met with extremely harsh words for burying the treasure. So I want to invite you this morning to join me as we unpack this complicated text and ask how it might be good news for us today. I want to say unequivocally that the kingdom of God is defined by justice and mercy and the flourishing of the whole. And so categorically, it has no place for chattel slavery, nor for the rampages of unfettered greed. So when we encounter a challenging passage, and this one's a doozy, it's helpful to read the selected portion in context, in the larger context of what Jesus is doing and saying in the chapters surrounding the text. So what is Jesus saying and doing in the chapters surrounding the text? I'm so glad you asked. He's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about the kingdom as he defines it in the Beatitudes and elsewhere in Matthew 25, clearly and primarily concerned with justice and mercy and the flourishing of the whole community. And there's this recurring question throughout the later part of Matthew, and also in Paul, you, you catch it in the Thessalonians reading today, what does the fulfillment of God's kingdom look like? When will it be accomplished? And what should we do in the interim? What does the fulfillment of God's kingdom look like? When will it be accomplished? And what do we do as we wait? Theologians call this project the eschaton, the fulfillment of God's reign. And that's why you have all these parables, parables about workers doing stuff while the boss is out of town. This week we have servants. Last week it was bridegrooms. You'll read about lantern keepers and watchmen. It's a recurring genre. Jesus is coming. Look busy. It's Jesus' way of saying the kingdom of heaven is really, really important and the stakes could not be higher. And one of the really complicated questions for the gospel writers is, when will the eschaton, when will the fulfillment of God's reign be? And you see them wrestling with it. For example, Luke takes Matthew's Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, and makes an editorial decision, takes out those words in spirit, so it's now just blessed are the poor. 
And that's Luke's way of saying he's the later gospel writer. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, so we have to make a difference where we are. Blessed are the poor. The economically, materially poor are part of the kingdom of God and part of God's direct concern. So one of the things that it takes to be a faithful Christian following in the way of Jesus is to make a difference where we are in our neighborhood. That's the kingdom work that Jesus is talking about. And participating in God's work means furthering the kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as a matter of fact, the pencils-down moment on the final exam happens just a few verses later in Matthew 25. Jesus says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And the righteous will say, well, Lord, when was it that we saw you? I mean, we saw other people. When did we see you like that? And he says, just as you did it to the least of these who are members of my family, so you did it unto me. That's the passage, by the way, that inspired the seed gift for the Mike Carscada and Matthew 25 fund. Matthew 25, the, the 25th chapter of Matthew, right? Which, along with your generosity, empowers us to build a habitat house in January. So all of us are going to get together and we're going to, you know, I'm going to try to learn how to use a screwdriver or something. We're going to build a house together. That's so cool. That's kingdom work. That's the kind of work Jesus is talking about today. So now let's consider these servants slash investors on the farm. Remember the genre. What are you going to do to further the kingdom while the boss is out of town? The stakes are high because when we don't participate in kingdom work, Just look around. Death-dealing powers will fill the vacuum. And that's why Jesus speaks in stark, hyperbolic, exaggerated language. He's trying to get our attention using images and numbers that translate in time. The first thing you want to know is that we're talking about some serious money. So I kind of went down the rabbit hole on this. I was reading some translations and some Bible commentaries. So a talent is 6,000 denarii, which is basically one denarius is about one day's labor, one day's wages for a farm laborer. So figure in uh, some vacation days, you can figure about 15 years worth of wages is one talent for the average farm worker. So according to Indeed.com, today's average farm worker makes $30,000 each year. So let's translate this in today's dollars and cents. That means the first servant who got five talents got $2.25 million in today's fund. And he doubles it. So he returns $5 million. And I just saw the eyebrows raise for the distinguished members of our endowment and finance committees. That's a pretty good return. (laughs) The second servant got two talents. That's like 30 years wages worth $900,000, and he also doubles it, returning $1.8 million in today's funds. And the third servant still gets a lot of money. He gets $450,000, one talent, 15 years worth of wages for a farm worker, but he's afraid he might lose it. So he buries the treasure. He buries it in the ground. And you could see a business case for maintaining the status quo, not rocking the boat, not, not changing the lights, not changing the windows, just keeping things the way they are, burying treasure in the ground so we don't lose it. But the tragedy is this, according to theologian John Buchanan. 
the outcome of playing it safe is something akin to death. The outcome of playing it safe is something akin to death. The greatest risk of all, it turns out, is not to risk anything. Not to care deeply and profoundly enough about anything to invest deeply, to give away our hearts and in the process risk everything. The greatest risk of all, it turns out, is to play it safe. The parable's stark ending warns of the tragedy of acting timidly in response to God's grace and generosity. And so I wonder personally, how is God calling you to love more passionately, to step out on some kind of limb, to try something new and different, to be brave, to take a leap of faith when you might prefer to play it safe? Collectively, how is God calling us to step out on some kind of limb, to try something new and different, to take a leap of faith to be brave when we might prefer to play it safe. Because when we are not all passionately committed to the flourishing of the whole, to God's kingdom of justice and mercy, death-dealing powers will fill in the vacuum. And ultimately, a little faith, a small act of generosity, can be catalytic. Let me tell you a story. So this is a story that I learned in kindergarten. It's called Stone Soup. And you can just imagine, uh, the teacher's got to figure out a role for every kid. And there's this group of rambunctious boys who maybe weren't ready for a line or an acting role. And so me and my friends were designed as the fire builders. And we said to Mrs. Perefsky, there is no such thing as a small role, only small actors. And so we became method actors. And we practiced at recess, and we gathered the imaginary stones in a ring, and we gathered the imaginary birch bark and sticks and twigs, and we struck our imaginary matches, and we got the fire started, and we blew air on it, and it turned into this giant imaginary fire, and we were ready. And so it came time for the premiere at the Adina Community Center, and the critics were in, the, were in attendance, everyone wore their finest, all the parents were there, it was the Friday before Thanksgiving. And the teacher said, okay, it was time to build a fire. And so we all got really excited about it. We got those stones and those sticks and those logs, the imaginary ones. And we struck the imaginary match and we blew in the flames. And it was time to step to stage left. And the teacher said, okay, the fire's going. Yay. We weren't done yet. We had more to give. So we, we added more air to the fire. We started blowing out and someone carried in like a big imaginary log. And like, they just like, okay, the fire looks really good, but we still had more to give. And we started blowing more air on it. And finally the teacher stood up and said, a round of applause for the fire builders. Thanks guys. And, and like pushed us to the side, but we were very committed. And we didn't even know the story until this point, but we had front row seats to the story of stone soup. So not so long ago, and not so far from here, there was a town, and everybody was really hungry, and nobody had enough. Everybody was really hungry, and nobody had enough. And somebody said, well, I've got this giant kettle, and I could fill it with some water, and we can make some soup out of stones. And everyone said, stone soup, imagine that. And that was our lines. You can imagine the, the kindergartners saying this, right? So stone soup, imagine that. But there's, you can't eat stone soup. That's ridiculous. And then someone says, and this was Bill, is like, well, I've got some yellow onions. I could dice them up and throw them in the soup. And then he gets off to stage left and he stands with the fire builders. 
and someone says, well, I've got some green, crisp celery, and I could dice it up and throw it in the soup. But none of this by itself is enough to feed you or your family or the town. But it's a really cool kindergarten story. And then somebody says, well, I've got some long orange carrots, and I can dice them up and throw them in the soup. And then they go off to stage left. And then we all came back and blew more air on the fire because it needed to be hotter. <laughs> and then the teacher said, well, you know what? There's still not enough here. There's, there's nothing to eat here. Just a bunch of boiling vegetables and, and stone soup. Stone soup! Imagine that! So then we're like, well, you know what? Someone says, I've got some butter. And so they could throw a stick of butter in there. Now, now you've got some soup cooking. And someone says, well, I've got, I've got some barley. I could throw in a handful of barley. And someone says, I've got some, I've got some rice. You could throw in a handful of rice. And someone says, I've got some beef bones. We could throw some beef bones in there. And none of these things by themselves are enough to feed you or your family or the whole town. But you start to put them together, this soup's starting to smell pretty good. And someone says, I've got a handful of salt I could throw in there. Someone says, I've got a pinch of pepper. And I think the teacher at this point was trying to think of more ingredients because there were like 16 kids and everyone had to have a roll. But along the way, they, we made this giant imaginary pot of stone soup. Imagine that. And everyone was so excited in the town because there's enough and it smells really good and it's bubbling and it's delicious. And they say, you know what? Let's, let's put out our finest table and our finest cups and spoons and let's all eat together. And the neighboring towns come and everyone says, this is a delicious thing. Stone soup. Imagine that. And it's this goofy little kindergarten Thanksgiving story. And you can imagine the three-foot-tall little kids being so excited about this. Except it's true, right? Nobody had enough in that town. Carrot's not going to get you dinner. But you put that together with what, what Miss Christine has and what David has and what Natasha has and what I have, pretty soon, stone soup. Soup out of stones. Imagine that. And the kingdom of God, I would like to submit to you, is a lot like stone soup, right? Jesus talks about the kingdom of God is like yeast in bread. It's like salt in stew. It's like light in the darkness. It's like you don't have enough, but we still have to. Let's be part of creating a community where people could find new life. And that 30 years later becomes covenant community, raising multiple huge grants, doing amazing work in the community. We can't do this. We must do this. And look at the work God is doing in our midst. We don't have enough to realistically make the kinds of commitments God calls us to make and still look at God. So happy Thanksgiving, friends. I've said these things to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.